One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. And welcome to Queen's Club quarterfinals day. This is the tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph today. Andy Murray beats Kyle Edmund in the Battle of Britain. Kyle's the, the future of the game in this country, so he's doing great. He's improving every single year. To play Andy, he's been, you know, so, so good to me. He's last three pre-seasons I spent with him. Give me a lot of information, insight, you know, into his professional life. We'll be previewing the semi-finals as Murray faces Chilich and Raonic Tomic. And during this pod, you will notice that it is a little legend heavy. Best players in the world are playing and that brings back the memories. And I can't believe it's 31 years ago. It's, it, it, in a way, it seemed like it was yesterday. Well, I'm honoured to be here. This was one of my favourite tournaments in the circuit. I've kind of got to pinch myself to think that I'm yeah, up there with the, the likes of Becker and McEnroe and these guys. This was actually my first tournament after I turned pro in 1978 and I lost to a guy by the name of Tony Roach who taught me a thing or two about volleying that day so I always vowed to myself I'd try to be as good as him. So that's Leighton Hewitt, Boris Becker, Roy Emerson and John McEnroe all coming up on tonight's podcast and speaking of legends I, Catherine Whitaker, am joined once again by Gigi Salmon and Gigi again we should probably explain our location because it's a familiar scene with familiar sounds isn't it? We're overlooking the centre court we are in fact in the photographer's enclosure directly at court level this is where they get all sorts of photos and behind us is the clubhouse and once again there's rather a lot of merriment isn't there and can I say thank you very much but I'm not sure about that introduction but in terms of the members it's quite rowdy this evening and it's because it's a Friday night so I think this lot are bedded in for the evening there is no end of the world scenario this evening the sky looks pretty good so I think they are bedded in for a few hours of drinking We're going to stop talking about the weather on this podcast because weather forecasts seem to have become completely meaningless. Every time we predict that there's going to be no play whatsoever, we have a full glorious day uh, of sunshine. So we're moving on from the weather. We're going to talk about Andy Murray's 6-4, 3-6, 6-1 defeat of Kyle Edmund. What a match that was. It really kind of over-delivered, I think, on people's expectations. A very good performance from Kyle Edmund. But again, it's just the difference in class of Andy Murray, isn't it? It wasn't. It's interesting. After the match, all the questions were being asked about Kyle Edmund because we know what Andy Murray can do and I think most of us would have expected him to win. It was the performance of Kyle Edmund. But you have to look at Andy Murray and what he did and he dropped that second set and he came back and he just put his foot down in the decider to make his way through. Kyle Edmund, what stood out for me was the composure of Kyle Edmund under pressure he played the big points he mixed things up he wasn't afraid of facing the guy who he's been the hitting partner of who he's gone to the training camp with he just came out here and played his game and boy is Kyle Edmund a talent 
Absolutely. And in terms of how Edmund will respond to this, I cast my mind back to Doha in January of this year where he reached his first tour-level quarterfinal. He played Thomas Burdick. He was pretty roundly beaten, a lot more so than he was today by Andy Murray. And I spoke to him after that match and his, his brow was furrowed because he was already deep in thought about how he could learn from it, how could he, he could improve on it. And I'm sure he's fur- his brow is, is furrowed just now and he's deep in thought in just the same way about how he can learn from this one. Exactly. Exactly. We're sitting here going, well done, Kyle. It wasn't that great. But he'll be thinking, well, hang on a second. I'm a professional tennis player. I wanted to be in the semi-finals. It's not pat on the back and off you go. You were never going to win. He'll be thinking, this is the kind of match I want to win. And what we saw from him out here was fantastic in terms of what he did out here on the court to get that set, to get the break. Got the break in the first. He got the break in the second. Was broken back. Then regained the lead. Then he managed to close it out under pressure. And yes, Andy Murray, the class shone through in the deciding set. But so many positives and a few people I spoke to, Colin Fleming especially, said he cannot believe the improvement in Kyle Edmund and what he's seeing from him. And so his brow is furrowed and so it should be because this is his job to continually improve. But I think from our point of view we can say it was a great performance and it was really good to see Brit against Brit on centre court in the quarterfinals. Absolutely. It was very interesting, wasn't it? I think he played a very tactically astute match, Edmund. And in fact, Andy Murray commented on that in his press conference. He said he's been very impressed with Kyle coach Ryan Jones and uh, particularly impressed today with the tactics he brought in into the match he was pouncing wasn't he Edmund on any bit of defensiveness if Andy wasn't the one to get the first strike in Kyle Edmund was going right in there do you think Lendl will have been slightly disappointed with an element of defensiveness in Andy's game today I don't know I think Lendl is still looking at everything it's early in this part two of this partnership and I don't think Andy Murray has been playing the most amazing tennis all week but he's been playing enough to get by the conditions a little slippery we saw him take a really heavy tumble and he was really stretching out the groin area lifting that leg for a few fair few points after that because these courts are so slidey especially on the the lush green edges of the center court lend up there will be a few things for him to work on but that's why he's been brought in because we talk about Kyle's furrowed brow and where he wants to go Andy Murray is the world number two but he wants to try and eat in to some of that lead that Novak Djokovic has and I was speaking to Boris Becker a little bit later and I asked him what was the difference between the two at Roland Garros and he simply said the difference was the five extra hours that Andy Murray had spent on court that was the difference between the two of them Well why don't we hear from both of them, Andy Murray and Kyle Edmund, this is their take on that match Was that a little bit tougher than you might have expected? No, I mean, obviously train with Kyle a lot, so, you know, I know how good he is. You know, he uh, is a big, strong guy, very powerful game, and, um, you know, when he's, when he's on, he's, he's very tough to, to play against in practice, and now I felt it in the match uh, as well today, so I expected it to be hard. What were your thoughts at one set apiece? I was obviously a bit disappointed to lose the second. I lost serve uh, up uh, 40 love um, in that set, and then had a couple of break-back chances just after that, and... Kyle served extremely well there. Um, and yeah, I just tried to up my intensity, try and be a little bit more aggressive in the, the beginning of the set. And Ten years ago, you played Tim Henman, and we made a big point yesterday about the fact you were playing Ali Ash Bedene, the first time you played a British player for ten years. I'm sure if somebody had asked Tim Henman ten years ago, is the, uh, the future of British tennis in pretty good hands about you, he'd have said very safe hands. What's your impression about the future of British tennis in four or five, how many years' time it is when you decide to go and do something else? Um, well, obviously, you know, Kyle's the, the future of the game in this country, so... Um, uh, 
you know, it's just it's important that you know he's given time to develop at his own rate, that not you know too much pressure is put on on him. And you know, he, he's doing great. He's improving every single year. He's got a really really good team behind him. I've obviously spent quite a lot of time with them, and um, you know they work him very hard, and they're they're good guys. So um, you know, if he's given time and a little bit of space just to to keep developing and not too much pressure on the results at, at this stage, then. You know, he, he can go very far. And a big hand for Carl Edmund, who played such a fantastic part in that match. And, you know, you're a hugely professional athlete and you'll be disappointed by the result, but I hope you're enormously proud of how you play today. You know, no one likes losing, but you want your head time to, to reflect. Um, it's important you take away the positives. It's it's been a very positive week for me. Um, obviously fortunate with the withdrawal yesterday, but I did well to come through my first round. And um, yeah, I thought I played well today. But Andy showed why he's been so tough to beat and why he's been at top again for for so many years because he he just always makes it tough for you when when it really matters. One of the big positives for you must be breaking his serve three times. Not many players do that. Yeah, I mean, you don't, don't really think about that. You're, just, you're in the match, just concentrating on every point, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to find little ways to break him. And, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky, but especially on grass, if you do break him, you've got to take your opportunities. And luckily, I thought uh, at 3-1 when I lost my serve, I, I felt I should have held. But as uh, Andy said from Love 40, that was... Uh, you know, a game you don't expect to win, but you take it and uh, try and serve it out. Andy Murray and Kyle Edmund there talking about their quarterfinal, which Andy Murray came through in three sets. The other results from quarterfinals day, Marin Cilic, he beat Steve Johnson really narrowly, 6-7, 6-3, 6-4. Roberto Bautista Agut, after coming through his second round match, the resumption thereof against Donald Young, he came through that. Then he had to come out and play Milos Raonic, and he did get pretty roundly beaten, 6-1, 6-4. Very impressive from Milos Raonic that he looked pretty clinical today. One hour on court, and when you're serving like that, it is difficult to get anything on it. It is such a weapon in the Raonic game. Today it was working. He was coming in, still maybe not 100% crisp on the volleys at the net, but I'm sure John McEnroe can work with him on that. But in terms of the game he was playing from the back of the court, using the weapons, maximising his potential, one hour, job done, Raonic through. And McEnroe had him in the gym afterwards. That was not enough of a workout from McEnroe's perspective. Uh, and Ranich will play Bernard Tomic in the semi-final because he beat Gilles Muller 7-6, 4-6, We will be previewing that semi-final shortly. But first, we must explain something rather special that happened at the Queen's Club today because there was a really, really glorious presentation on the centre court to honour the tournament's four-time champions. There are eight of them. Not all of them are still with us. Not all of them that are still with us, were with us today, but four of them were, and they were Leighton Hewitt, Boris Becker, John McEnroe, and amazingly, Roy Emerson, and they were awarded replica trophies to keep to honour their being four-time champions. How special was that to see all of them in the same place? 
It was really nice to see, to see them chatting in the middle of centre court ahead of those little interview with each of them and the replica trophies. We were thinking, wow, do these guys need yet another trophy? Boris Becker actually said to me that he was going to give it to his six-year-old son because he's now coming up to that age and he obviously he wasn't around when he was winning all the trophies. So he's going to go home and say, look, Dad won another trophy. But it was really nice to have them all together. Look at the generations of players down on centre court and it was a really nice thing that the championship did to bring them together and to one of them. And all four of them celebrated that honour by speaking to the Tennis Podcast. We do have interviews with all of them tonight. First of all, we can bring you Boris Becker. It all started for him here in 1985. He was 17 years old. He walked through the gates. He won the title. And, of course, he went on to win Wimbledon three weeks later. I spoke to him after he received that replica trophy today, and he was clearly very chuffed. It was another beautiful reminder today that all the recipients were very much part of the history of, of the Queen's Club. Uh, and the ones playing behind us actually is in the run to win it five times. Uh, no, it was a great day and even the sun appreciated it because it's out right now. It's the first time I've seen her in a couple of days. No, it's, it's a great day. Of course, this is where it all started for you as a 17-year-old back in 1985. What, have your, what are your memories of that and do they all come flooding back to you as you walk through the gates here? Well, I, I live in town now for the last couple of years, so I come to the club on a regular basis, but it's always special when a tournament starts and the crowd is full and the best players in the world are playing, and that brings back the memories. And I can't believe it's 31 years ago. It's, it, it, in a way, it seemed like it was yesterday. On the other hand, it was before internet, before colour TV. So imagine how long ago. How would 17-year-old Boris Becker get on in the tournament today, do you think? Uh, difficult to say, you know, generations play differently, we had different records, different shoes. Um, on the other hand, you know, the, the, good, the good players were always good, you know, you, you saw Macron next to me, he's older. Uh, uh, so I think the best ones were always good in competition and, and, and loved playing one another. And you mentioned McEnroe, John McEnroe the coach, did you ever think you'd see the day? I haven't, uh, well I, I talked to him just before and uh, well he understands the game better than most, uh, he's been probably the best sports commentator uh, and before that he was one of the best players of all time so I think it's a natural choice for him to be on the sidelines again. And finally I have to ask you about Andy Murray getting back together with Ivan Landler's coach to his biggest rival, what do you make of that? I, I just spoke to Ivan before. I'm happy to see him back. He you know, was one of the greatest players of all time. They had a successful relationship. Uh, Andy won his two majors with Ivan on his sideline. And I think it's sort of a natural fit that they're back together. Well, Boris Becker there, he was a four-time champion at the Queen's Club. Firstly in 1985, then 87, 88, and finally in 96. Only one of the four-time champions, of the eight of them, won those four titles consecutively. And that was Roy Emerson. Between 1962 and 1965, Emerson played in five finals and he won four of them, as I say, in a row. When I caught up with him earlier, I wanted to know how the club had changed. We didn't have the huge stands that we have here and we really didn't have the, the t- being televised. Uh, so it's quite different. Uh, they didn't have... Uh, the sponsors or the sponsorship that they have in these particular days. So it was a big difference. I'm intrigued. What was the Players' Lounge like back then? Because now it's this enormous expanse. It's basically an entertainment centre. What was it like back in your day? Um, we didn't have any in the, uh, players' entertainment section. No. It, uh, we uh, just had our, uh, the, the men's dressing room because it, and uh, we shared it with the members and so forth. And uh, no, it was a much smaller scale. So how would you pass the time during a rain delay? Um, 
just sit in the dressing room and uh, wait till it's over. Well, Andy Murray, of course, playing just behind you, is going for the possibility of a, a record-breaking fifth title here. How extraordinary would that be if you were to achieve well, I'm it? Not gonna, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. No, he's got a great chance of winning it. And, uh, you know, he's playing so well, you know, he deserves uh, all the success that he's had, you know, and... Uh, this is a great preparation for his Wimbledon and uh, it'll give him a lot of confidence to win this tournament. Well, who better to hand Roy Emerson that replica trophy to honour his four titles here at the Queen's Club than Leighton Hewitt, the other Aussie, to have four titles here at the Queen's Club. Leighton Hewitt beat Pete Sampras to win the first of his four Queen's Club titles. He's now coaching Bernard Tomic and what a week he is having. So we spoke about Tomic, Emerson, life on tour and this very special club. Yeah, when I first came here, I couldn't believe how good these courts were, obviously, and uh, uh, you know, it's a, such a prestigious event uh, over so many years and you just look at the honour board and how many guys, you know, the great names that have won and held up that great trophy and I always wanted to be a part of that. I uh, kind of got to pinch myself to think that I'm you know, up there with the, the likes of Becker and McEnroe and these guys and, and Andy Murray obviously, uh, you know, he's won at the last, you know, four as well. So, um, you know, it's great to come back here, slightly different uh, capacity now, um, but really, you know, always enjoy this week. And one of those names is Roy Emerson and today you had the opportunity 
opportunity to present the honour that you received last year to him. How was that? Yeah, it was pretty special, obviously. Um, you know, those older Australian guys have done so much for the sport of tennis, not just in Australia, but worldwide, and especially setting up the ATP Tour as well, uh, which this tournament uh, means so much to our tour. Um, so it was, you know, pretty special to be out there with Roy today and obviously uh, another Australian that's won it four times. And you mentioned Andy Murray, one of those four-time champions. He's the only one with a chance this year to possibly make it five. How incredible an achievement would that be? Yeah, it would be amazing, especially in his uh, you know, home country as well. Um, here in Great Britain, he's, uh, you know, he's had so much pressure on him so many times when he plays here and I think he plays some of his best tennis on this particular surface. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if he went on to win his fifth one uh, this week. He's certainly the favourite going into it but um, yeah anything can happy, happen and I'm sure it will be a worthy uh, champion. And you're obviously here in Davis Cup capacity but also in capacity coaching Bernard Tom, who spoke to him yesterday he's obviously having a great week he seems so relaxed and happy signs I guess that that relationship is really going well. Yeah um, yeah obviously keeping an eye on all the Australian boys but uh, Bernie and I have, have got a pretty close relationship I think and I think I can uh, you know play a part and hopefully helping him go to that next level um, and he really enjoys playing on this surface. I think as well so you know he's through to the quarters so far and you know hopefully he can go one or two steps further and just finally most players when they retire from tennis even if they intend to come back they at least take some time off not you you're straight back out here coaching Davis Cup is that just a sign of how much you love this sport and love being on tour as well yeah I think like Australian tennis more than anything um yeah obviously it was a great opportunity to to take over the Davis Cup and uh you know playing for Australia meant so much to me and um I feel like I have the respect of the playing group and I think that's the most important thing well Leighton Hewitt there who speaks so wonderfully about how much this event and this tournament meant to him throughout his career and actually continues to mean to him and, and someone that feels exactly the same as Mr John McEnroe and I was privileged enough to get to catch up with him as well. This was actually my first tournament after I turned pro in 1978 and I lost to a guy by the name of Tony Roach who taught me a thing or two about volleying that day so I always vowed to myself I try to be as good as him and um, I think it worked out pretty well and Next thing I know, I'm getting a call from a, this great young kid, Milos Raonic. Hey, let's work for you know around Wimbledon in Queens. I have this chance to come back here and get treated very nicely. It's a good feeling. Speaking of which, you've got a hundred percent record as a coach so far. That's got to feel good. Yeah, uh, that would make me think I should quit now, type of thing. But I think he's got it in him to go all the way here. And when I look before. Uh, the French even, or even a few months ago, if you said to me who could win Wimbledon, um, he would have been one of the five or six guys that I picked that actually had a shot at it. I've known him not well, but you know, seen him around, had talks with him in the past. Great young kid. He's real professional. He wants to become the best he can be. He sees what these other guys do, to the efforts they make. He's trying to close these, the gap on these Murrays and Djokovic's of the world, and uh, he's done a real nice job so far. How are you coping with the sitting still aspect of being a coach, John? I know that's not something that necessarily comes that easily or naturally to you. Uh, sitting still is not my forte, so it's definitely different. Um, I sort of feed off energy, so hopefully just give a little bit of that to Milos. And um, I'm a little antsy there, and so it's nice to change on the uh, get up and stand up on the changeovers and uh, hopefully pump them up a little bit. And uh, it's been fun, but definitely. Uh, uh, it, it, it's good to go and work out after the match. We spoke to Peter Fleming a couple of days ago, and he, for one, among many, is delighted to see you coaching. What, one of the things he said was that he thought maybe people hadn't thought of you as a potential coach because of how big a personality 
you are. Is that something that how how you see it? Have you been waiting for this opportunity for a while? Uh, I'm not saying that I've been waiting for it. I I have a tennis academy. I like playing with kids. Um, I think particularly the last five years or so when you've seen Boris, for example, and Stefan with Roger. Obviously, Yvonne was more of a full-time gig with uh, Andy. But you could see guys coming in and consulting slash coaching for not as much a period of time and come in on the bigger ones, which is, you know, fantastic. Come, who doesn't want to be coaching someone at Wimbledon, for example? And um, so that, to me, started fitting in and make more sense for me. I mean, doing 30, 40 weeks, being out there, I mean, I already feel like I'm sort of back out in the tour, which is good in a lot of ways, but that that's a, it's you, you need to have a lot of patience, which not always my strong suit, although six kids later, I think I'm better. So it's been uh, it's been fun to sort of get back in the mix a little bit, and uh, it feels good right now. So if I can pick and choose uh, some times, and hopefully if Milos says, look, let's work a little before certain other events, and he has a home in New York, so this this thing could be real nice. Well, you've mentioned Yvonne. How was how it seeing him around the place, seeing him in the locker room? What's that like? He hasn't changed at all. <laughs> but he's uh, he did a great job with Andy before. I think he was a, a difference, and Andy winning... Uh, he won two majors, and um, I'm not surprised. Uh, I sort of expected it, uh, but you're always a little bit like, okay, here it, here it is again. And, um, you know, he comes in, and um, he's meticulous, and uh, that's what uh, a lot of the players want and need, and um, he definitely worked. I, I, I can see definitely going to the well again if I was Andy. Why wouldn't I? He's playing great. He's been knocking at the door. He's trying to you know get over that hump against Novak. And um, hopefully uh, my guy can get close to those guys. Well, just finally, we do seem to be edging, edging closer to a Murray-Raunich final. And that would mean McEnroe-Lendl. That would be absolutely fantastic. I look forward to it. Maybe we could play doubles before the singles. The four of us. We'll make it happen, John. I'm ready. So, Andy Murray and Ivan Lendl, consider the gauntlet very much laid down by Mr John McEnroe. I don't know whether this has been run past Milos Raonic or not, but we, for two, very much would like to see that doubles match, wouldn't we? Who cares about the final of the Aegon Championships? That is what we want to see. Amazing. I'm just thinking, though, who would come out on top in that one? I mean, they've all got their strengths. There's a couple of weaknesses in there as well. Some big weapons, especially on this surface. Who would you go for? Well, in terms of the legends, the super coaches, everybody seems to be in agreement that it's it's all about fitness. Skill level seems to be pretty irrelevant when it gets to that stage of life, or, or so they tell us. Uh, in which case, I think John McEnroe has the edge because I think he's the fittest man of his age, probably anywhere in in the world in any sport Andy Murray and Milos Raonic well let's go with the ranking so Andy's got that edge so toss of the coin so you firmly sat on the fence there you didn't give me an answer at all you said one from one team and one from the other team okay I will go for Milos Raonic John McEnroe I saw the steel in John's eyes when he talked about Ivan Lendl and how much fire he would have in his belly to try and get that victory and I, I caused my mind back to a Champions Tour event that I did with John McEnroe about five years ago. And it was actually Ivan Lendl's very first event on the Champions Tour. He took a long time to decide to play on the Champions Tour. John had obviously been a stalwart of the Tour for a long time, but it was the first time they'd met since retirement. 
And actually, the the match ended rather limply with Lendl having to, well, literally limply, with with Lendl having to withdraw. And you'd think that might have dampened John McEnroe's celebration slightly. It did the exact opposite. I mean, John McEnroe celebrated like he'd won Wimbledon. It was extraordinary. He did a lap of honour of the court, fist-pumping in every corner. He came to speak to, to David and I in the mix zone afterwards, and boy, was he pumped. I mean, he would give every last sinew to be Ivan Lendl in any circumstance, let alone on a tennis court. I think as I look across, you mentioned opposition courtside, I can see straight down a gangway and there's a picture of a roaring Andy Murray, four-time champion here, but it's not swaying me. I think I'm also going to go with the Raonic-McEnroe doubles combination to beat Lendl and Murray. We've now, though, got to make it happen. Who do we speak to? No pressure or anything. I mean, as you say that, I do realise that we have had Peter Fleming on this podcast who's a pretty reliable source saying John McEnroe is the best doubles player and best partner in the world so I feel pretty confident in our choice here Gigi. But who do we speak to to make this happen? We know some people. Do we? David Law. Let's do it. David if you're listening I know you're listening we have to make this happen. Should we talk about the semi-finals, Gigi? Murray against Chilich, two former champions. That kicks us off at 1.15pm. It's safe to say Murray's the favourite, but Chilich, this is just the week he needed, isn't it? Yes, it's been really good for Chilich. Uh, champion here, 2012. Hasn't had Goran Ivanisovic here. He had to disappear and do other bits and pieces, but you spoke to him earlier in the week for the Tennis Podcast. It's good to see Chilich playing well, and with this confidence, he likes this surface against Andy Murray. Andy Murray has the head, I think it's, what, 10-2 in favour of Murray. They've met a couple of times at Queen's, both occasions they've gone the way of Andy Murray. So he would start the favourite, but I think it's going to be an interesting contest just to see how Andy Murray now, to see if he steps things up. He had Nicola Mahou, really tricky for Murray, having won in Hatogenbosch and come here, and the courts are really slippery at that point. Then he's had the British double act of Aliash Bednar and Kyle Edmund, and now the level has changed once again he steps things up against Marin Cilic and the matches are now running out ahead of Wimbledon so it, I think it's a really interesting test for Murray I'm sure Goran is coaching from afar I'm sure he can coach via text they're super coaches after all remote coaching I mean he'll be having a word in Marin Cilic's ear and I'm sure tactics will be passed on but uh, how do you feel about that one I mean, Murray is obviously the favourite, but I do think this is a step up in terms of test than what he's had this week. And I think it's also fair to say that Andy Murray has not played brilliantly at any point this week. There have been moments of brilliance. There always are. He's been good enough. He's been solid. But he hasn't been really tested and he hasn't been brilliant. So if Chilich can produce something special, he is a Grand Slam champion after all. If he can produce something special, I think there could be a bit of danger for Andy Murray. I think it could actually be a really, really good match, as could the second semi-final. Milos Raonic against Bernard Tomic. It's super coaches wherever you look because we've got Leighton Hewitt, John McEnroe. I mean, it's just a smorgasbord. We don't look at the head-to-head for that one, or we don't think it's a close match, because Raonic leads it three, love. They met, I believe, in Brisbane at the start of this year, and Tomic retired in this match. Tomic's never taken a set off Milos Raonic, but we've spoken to Bernard Tomic this week. He's looking really, really relaxed. He was very smiley, a little bit scared of the thunderstorm. He did the oh, regrouping. bless him. I know, we've, he was OK there, we were there. Um, he did the regrouping. What would have happened if we hadn't been there? I mean, he... Yeah, who knows what would have happened to him. It's He'd he, still be cowering in a corner. It's when he looked at us and said, aren't we all afraid? And we all looked blankly at him thinking, no, it's just, just you, Bernie. But it's, it's nice to see him playing like this. It's nice to see him so relaxed. He talked about needing to distract himself and keep his, 
keep his mind busy and the Australian journalists were really interested in talking to him about how in previous rounds he's fought back when he's been down and he said, I'm just feeling good, I'm taking it match by match, etc, etc. But I think with Hewitt in his corner, the confidence he seems to be playing with, he had a really bad head-to-head against Shield Muller, but he turned it round, he pulled it out the bag and he won. As I say, it's a shocker against Raonic in terms of head-to-head, but this is a new day, it's a new surface, and I think it's going to be very interesting. He suddenly looks very unburdened, Bernard Tomic. He's looked burdened in the past, of course. He has had some missteps in terms of his relationship with the media, with the fans. But we've talked about him this week, haven't we, Gigi? And, and there's a really good, well, I say kid, I mean, he's 23. To us, he's a kid. There's a really good kid in there, isn't he? And, and he loves his tennis. And, and seeing him play in this unburdened way, you're seeing the best of Bernard Tomic. And I think the world deserves to see that. Yeah, and it's nice. I think we've also seen a slightly different side of Milos Raonic. People I've spoken to, yeah, sometimes it is quite tough to get excited about how he plays because it is quite functional, it's quite robotic. But we've seen a couple of smiles at the change of ends. I think the addition of John McEnroe was great and a few chats we've we've had with him. There is that it's, it's sort of a sensitive, sweet soul there, a good sense of humour. And I think, so it's an interesting one in terms of we've just seen a little bit of the characters of both of them. You add in the super coaches who'll be in the boxes by the side of the court and uh, I, I'm going to tip Raonic to come through this ultimately but I think it will be a good test for Tomic Absolutely, well there you have it, the semi-final lineup. it's Raonic against Tomic and it's Murray versus Chilich, but it's also Lendl versus Ivanisevic, well a remote Ivanisevic and Leighton Hewitt versus John McEnroe it's going to be good, we'll be bringing you another podcast after the semi-finals, they are nightly, there are two more to go after this one so stick with us Aegon Championships Tennis Podcast. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.